Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Kevin. This is Good Company in the Car. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. She walks by, the mean folks can't even grow. All right, hi, how you doing? Hi. It's a beautiful day out. Ugh. Beautiful. So, um, I wanted to talk about this. Is I this is a, <laughs> is this isn't going to necessarily be relevant to a lot of people? Well, it will. Well, happy you, New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. <laughs> it's it's going to be relative to a lot of people it, in the sense that you you can be. compare it to something that's going on in your community. Anybody who's over twenty five is going to have an experience with malls. Something like I that. think. Okay, so I just drove past what used to be Landmark Mall, and it's completely gone. Oh, Landmark the was enti- huge. The entire mall is gone. They bulldozed it's it. It's a big old field now. Shit. I have no idea what there's going, what is going to be built there. And this is, I think, this is. Even though I'm talking specifically about Landmark Mall, I think malls across the country we, are having this. We've even did a podcast. Well, yeah, we did about one. We know. Mall. Yeah, malls are in okay. decline. And Lake Forest up in um, Gaithersburg the other day. A, a similar thing. Yes. So when I first moved to the D.C. area in '88, Landmark Mall was an outside shopping plaza it had big stores Huge. in it it Huge. had a, a woodward and lothrop was a big department store I, I i don't know what the other ones were i remember the record store and a pet store so it but it was a it was a big area but it was all outside you yeah. had to walk outside to go between the, oh is that the, the one shops. you said they eventually enclosed it correct ah. and then and then in the so when malls were really popular mm-hmm. and in this area springfield mall was always pretty big but <laughs> it had sing, a, can you sing the popular song what i'll make you popular about a popular yes so the 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 more popular malls in the area have always been tyson's because that's a kind of a fancy schmancy it's still there right it's still there and it's still very well there's a gallery with all the fancy shops oh yeah we went there one time they're all closed yeah springfield mall is in springfield and even though it has been a big mall it's a little more working class and i'm not trying to be rude but you know it had a jc penny's and it had a seer you know it had yeah, very, it was more, a little more down to earth. A little more, a little more realistic to the to the commonplace yeah. worker. So, um, but Landmark Mall tried to be a fancy mall. So, was Landmark in PG County? It was. It's over the bridge. No, Landmark is is Fairfax County. It's oh, all 395. I'm, what, what, it's I'm thinking of one that way. No, oh, I'm, oh, okay. I'm talking about Alexandria. So when I first moved to the area, I lived right near there. I shopped there. Then sometime in the late... 80s they enclosed it mm. so that all the store you know it turned into a regular a mall. mall and then there was a there was a jc Penney's, there was a sears there was a woodward and lothrop and i want to say a hex as well uh, yes yes correct it was a hex and of course woodward and lothrop went out of business and became a macy's and hex became macy's where's and, macy's where's, where's macy's <laughs> and so and then there was a raleigh i used to shop at there was a store in, in the area called raleigh's it was a kind of a nice men's shop i used to oh, shop there. quick side note the sears town in fort lauderdale yes big, it's gone it's a park, that's it's part a parking of the lot reason, now too that is part of the reason why i yeah. thought of this so 
in in the early 90s they did a huge resurgence on the mall they put in a bunch of fancy stores i remember they tr- that they tried this is landmark mall specifically yeah. they tried to make it fancy again and i tried to shop there again but it just it didn't have it just it just didn't it had a in the food court it had a place called i want to say it was called foster's uh-huh. and it was turkey you could get a turkey meal like a hot turkey <laughs> meal i would go there and i liked going there for turkey. in the food court because they had this tur- and then a chick-fil-a and then anyway doesn't matter so um in the the the, the one of the more recent uh the gal gadot gal gadot uh wonder <laughs> woman movies they filmed the which was supposed to take place in the 80s uh-huh. they filmed a huge section of the movie in that mall because it was kind of sitting there empty and oh. so the, in the night because uh the in the movie took place in the 80s so after that, shortly after that, and the other day, when I say the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I drove by and I looked over because I was curious if the Sears auto department was still there for yeah. some reason. And it's a field. Yeah. And I was a little taken aback by that because uh, the other thing is, is used car, uh, car lots in the area would use the parking garage to park their oh, spare surplus, inventory. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing's gone. Oh. So it, in a way, it made me sad mm-hmm. because I have literally lived in this area the lifetime of, of that mall. mall. Yeah, <laughs> from before it was a mall till it was made into a mall till it was a very popular gone. mall till it died a slow lingering death. It yeah. was in a movie as a location, and now it's, <laughs> it's a, just a field. field. Good lord! So uh, I know that the Parkersburg, the Grand Central Mall in Parkersburg, is suffering. There's yeah. a lot. Of, we went in it when we were there a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, and, and, and I know malls <laughs> and a lot Julius. of areas <laughs> because it went from malls back to shopping centers, yeah. and I don't understand that, but I get it. Did I tell you about my experience with White Flint? Okay, White Flint Mall was a big to do, and it opened in the early '80s. It was the, all the rage up. Yes, up White and, Flint. I love White Flint because they had an iMagnum. They did. They had an iMagnum. iMagnum was a fancy store. Yeah. iMagnum. Okay, so it was. It did great, and through the '90s, it did great, and then about 15 years ago, it started to go off. It had Cheesecake Factory and the P.F. Chinese Changs. Play, P.F. Changs, and and then it was kind of uh, the Cheesecake Factory left, and so they were like, oh, it's it's going down. So the Lerner family who owned the nationals bought the property and we're going to bulldoze it and make it into a mixed-use property the learners their hubris they didn't get the lord and taylor store's permission (laughs) so they showed up with a wrecking ball and lord and taylor was like what are you doing and they're like well, we're bulldozing the the remains of the mall because we're going to do it. We may build the new that Amazon. That's a nice mall, by the way. And and so Lord and Taylor's like, no, we're not going anywhere. And they're like, well, because they gonna own build- their property. Yeah, Lord and Taylor owned it. Lord and so Taylor Lord, owned their property. Lord and Taylor put money above and beyond to keep that store going just to rub the learners' faces Good. in it. And then so the window for the Amazon headquarters came and went. I was. I was patronizing Lord and Taylor, and I'm not anybody not who would ever Lord buy that, Taylor but customer, I would buy my mom's yeah. stuff for Christmas, anything <laughs> to keep that store going, because I hate the learners. <laughs> finally, finally, even Lord and Taylor gave it up, but by then, all of the opportunities were gone, and that footprint where White Flint is now is a gigantic field with trees growing I was going to say- Right in the middle just, of, of compl- North Bethesda. Isn't it completely bold? Yes. I think the Lord and Taylor building is still standing. Uh, it is, and- But I, the rest of the mall's gone. Yep. That was a nice mall. It was a very nice mall. It was a nice part of town. It was a nice mall. So, yeah. uh, 
Anyway, I I'm gonna I'll play yeah. a little trumpet sound, yeah. the tattoo of you know. And, Jensen. and actually, <laughs> since we're talking about that, that's the back behind White Flint was where they had that shopping center where I met Martha Stewart. She yeah, was there. and yeah, you brought her yeah, credit cards. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird things where you, like I said, with back to with back to Landmark in Alexandria, I literally watched it. Become the full stores, cycle, the full life cycle <laughs> yeah. of that mall, and I didn't realize it had been torn down. Yeah. And I drove, and I literally there was kind of a oh, That's like a I had a it I had sad. a moment. Yeah, and it's so sad to think about that. But I really did enjoy malls and shopping back <laughs> in the day. But now you got yet, <laughs> and yet haven't been in a mall on purpose. And yeah, well, we went to and we were in Fort Lauderdale. We went to the yeah. mall on purpose for yeah. something to buy some clothes and my, actually, get my phone fixed. Actually, <laughs> to do it, you did it so. I would walk is why you did it. I know that's why you did it. But um, you know, I used to. Spend, you were energized. You were talking I, yeah, to the sales people. It was fun. It was. It, I I enjoyed shopping. I enjoyed walking from store to store to see what was there and what they had. But the magic was gone. Yeah, the magic's gone. The magic's gone. Well, you know what? We we've had a nice little chat, but let's talk some crime, shall okay, we? Okay, cool. And I love how my voice to text when I'm taking notes. It's not forensic files. It's frantic files. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're yeah. going to do frantic files. Don't make me ducking mad. I, I put fucking in my phone as a contact. So when I dictate, if I say fucking in my notes, it knows that that's an actual word. Oh, that's funny. If you want a word, put it in your contact. There you go. Anyway, frantic files, do your thing. Frantic Files. Season 8. Season 8. Episode 6. 36. Episode 36. Dueling Confessions. Dueling Confessions. So this episode takes place in Perth, Western Australia, and... It's, good day, mate. Good eye, mate. And this was from this episode's from about 15 years ago, but it's a pretty big city now. And it, back in 1963, it was still a fairly large metropolitan area, but it was a little more innocent, maybe not as refined. We, we the narrator it, remarks about the industrious but laid back Aussie lifestyle. <laughs> anyway, this is Estelle Blackburn. She is the author of Broken Lives, and it's a it's a story about this case. Here she is. Perth had been a sleepy little hollow, just a beautiful little town where you'd never thought of any sort of crime or murder. Very innocent, very secure. So we learned that a 19-year-old John Button was in love with 17-year-old Rosemary Anderson. Now, the funny part about that is, is it doesn't seem creepy when you talk about it being in the 60s. Yeah. But if you talk about a 19-year-old now being uh-huh. dating and loving a 17-year-old, like, he's too old. No, 19 and 17? You you can't now in the eyes. I agree that that I, is a perfectly acceptable still, age I, bracket, but a nineteen-year-old cannot technically date a seventeen-year-old uh, because they're uh, not eighteen. Yeah. So I, as soon as you say that nineteen seventeen now, yeah, I have like you can't do that. You can't do that. I, my little you know, my little flag. I, I wonder. I want to hear opinions from other people. I think somebody who's I have a fifteen-year-old and uh, my seventeen-year-old boyfriend's graduating 15 and 17 in high school that happens all the time correct you're telling me when my 17 year old boyfriend graduates we have to break up because that's kind of what you're implying according to the law you don't have to break up you just can't have sex i believe that's it i'm making a face okay if you have been dating for a couple years and you are that that time frame and you're still fooling around but when one of you goes over 18 and one of you is under 18 that is still technically okay criminal well anyway here's i don't john. agree with it okay. i'm just saying uh, anyway back, okay, to, the, so here's back john. to the story john go john take it very quiet a bit headstrong at times but uh, very enjoyable uh, company wise 
So it's John's 19th birthday, it's 1963, and Rosemary has come over to celebrate with him and his little brother. In the reenactment, I looked forever. They're watching the creepiest show. So it's, that was real? That yeah. show that they were watching I don't know was, it was a real it, show? Well, it, was a, it, it had to be, right? It was these guys in these creepy gorilla masks really? passing around things, and then they look at the screen. It's terrifying. It was, sure. And that weird German music that was playing. I assume that that is somehow realistic, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I spent I spent half an hour looking for like yeah. creepy Australian TV show monkeys. <laughs> you know, Perth, Australia, nineteen sixty-three. <laughs> Nothing came up. So, the, the, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's uh, creepy. Creepy. So Just John's creepy. Bro- younger brother was hanging out with them and they were having fish and chips. And John's brother reaches over to grab a piece of fish off of uh his plate, and John smacks the hand away, but that's Rosemary. And Rosemary gets pissed off and takes off. And she's done this before. And well, here we go. While they were eating the fish and chips, John, watching TV, saw a hand come across for his piece of fish, yelled at the person thinking it was his little brother, but it was Rosemary. She got upset. She stormed off and said that was over. She was walking home. So John sat in his car and tried to reason with her as she's walking down the road, and she's not having it. So he just lets her go, and he smokes a cigarette, and he watches her continue walking down the road, and she goes out of sight. I sat there, I smoked a cigarette, and just in those two or three minutes, she was out of sight. So eventually he goes to look for her. And we're talking like a very small distance. Yeah, like 100 yards. Like, yes. we're not Maybe talk- 90 meters. We're not talking miles. <laughs> we're talking like yards. Yes. So he finds her face down and unconscious by the side of the road. So he picks her up and he puts her in the car and he immediately goes to Dr. Alistair Turner. And he examined her and we see some pretty gruesome photos of her road burns and road rash. And anyway, here he is. She had severe injuries where she was scraped down the road to her face and to her limbs and uh, her blood pressure was very uh, unstable going up and down as she was losing blood into abdominal organs and so on. Um, So really I don't think she ever had any chance of survival. So I have no idea what MBB means, Forensic Files, but that was the guy's title after his his name. Anyway, when the police finally arrive, after the doctor's name, when the police finally arrive, they look at the car, and they see that there's some damage to the, to the front left part of the car, and they immediately assume John is the one who did it. So they start interrogating him really aggressively, and after several hours, he admits to killing his girlfriend with the car. But we find out this is what actually happened. And I think it was after about four hours of questioning that I, I received a quick punch to the stomach, which put, put me underneath the table. It pulled me out and sat me back in the chair again. And I realized at that point that they weren't going to let me out of here until they got a confession. And, and the way they were going was just going to get more and more physical. So as soon as he signed that confession... This goes we, back to that. This happens all the time this, back then. I can't, but I still think it happens today. Yeah. They're just bullied a confession out of into him. Into these weird confessions. Uh-huh. I don't understand that at all. They, so they punch him. You can imagine. He's Oof. like, I'm not getting out of here until I say I did this. So hopefully I can get a lawyer and I'll be like, that was totally coerced. Look at this bruise on yeah. my gut. He said everything was coerced. Uh, I wasn't going to get out of that room until I said what they wanted me to say. He said the body damage 
damage on his car was from weeks ago. And the reason that there was a little bit of a blood on the- A reported accident. The, there was a police report on the, the accident. On that accident. Yes. And they, see, the cops, these cops didn't take, they were so sure he was the guy. They find a little bit of uh, blood on his front fender. He's like, that. her uh, her dress brushed the front of my car when I carried her around to put her right. in the car. And again, it the all makes accident sense. damage to his car was reported the weeks before. So this damage actual, is documented. And it, it, it is documented that he was in an accident. And when you see the pictures, you're like, that's not from a person hitting a car. That's And it's under it's undercarriage. Anyway, this is Trevor Condren. He actually examined the car back in 1963. He's a police vehicle examiner retired. That's a title. If this car had struck a pedestrian, I would have expected to find damage to the bonnet, like such as dented bonnet. Drag marks, scrape marks. So despite his testimony, it didn't make any difference. So he went on trial for murder and they used his confession. And it made an open and shut case, but then this craziness happened at the sentencing. Members of the jury, how do you find the accused? Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, Your Honor. I'm thinking I'm, I'm going home. Could I go now? Could I run for the door? And I decided, well, I better not. I better wait until the judge tells me I can go. So I turned back to the judge. Order, order. Oh, terribly sorry, Your Honour. I made a mistake. We find him guilty. Order, order. The judge had to say guilty of what? Guilty of manslaughter. So they announced that he's not guilty, Your Honor. And he's like getting ready to go. And they're like, oh, no, no, wait. Oh, wait, we Sorry. made a mistake. My <laughs> he's totally guilty. Oh, my God. So he's sentenced to 10 years of hard labor at this grisly prison that has no plumbing, no electricity, no air conditioning. In Australia. In Perth. And they actually film him in his former cell, which I think must have been pretty traumatizing. But he's a tough dude. Well... Um, it's Fremantle Prison, and it was a relic from Victorian times, and it looks ghastly. You locked up a cell with nothing but a, a mattress on the floor, a, a rubber bucket in the corner, a plastic plate, and a wooden spoon. A very simple little argument over just a small bit of fish. That's all, all that it, it started with. So seven months after he's sent to prison, another another man arrives at the same place for his execution. He is notorious in Western Australia. His name is Eric Cook. And he tells the people at the jail that he is actually guilty of running over Rosemary and not John. This is Brett Christian. He is a newspaper publisher, and he plays a pretty important role in this story. Well, Cook confessed to eight murders and about 12 home invasions in which women were attacked in their beds. Yeah, so Eric Cook is a legend in Western Australia for being an absolute monster. So literally, lit literally, 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 mate. This this crime, this incident with this man and this girl, and they have this accident. Can we call and, them teenagers? Uh, yeah, te okay. This, these teenagers, I'm so sorry. This 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 incident with these teenagers, where the man is accused of killing his girlfriend with his car, right? And at the same time, there is this serial killer yes going on in the area running down people yeah or well just women? running down just women but at the time they didn't they they found out later that he was doing that but i think no no, 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 no. they knew this no 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 
Okay. This was known that this was happening. Okay. And they just didn't put it together because uh, they just figured they had their. He was there. Okay. Estelle Blackburn, the authoress. Yes. She said we knew he strangled people. We knew he shot people. We didn't think he ran down people with cars, but apparently they did know that because all of this was going on at the same time. This guy was just Cook was just. On mm-hmm. a killing spree, so to speak. Yeah, he killed like and a dozen there were people. Other car accidents or other hit and, uh, uh, women. Hit and runs, and it was women, young women. And it was and it, all this was going on at the same time, but none of that mattered. They wanted they wanted uh, John. John. They wanted <laughs> John, John to be held accountable for this for this crime for this crime. So, even though uh, they had all this evidence to the contrary, yep. I wasn't doing it. I didn't. Do it. Okay. So they take they have problems with Cook's confessions because they take him to where the accident took place and he pointed to the wrong spot which could be very easy to do he ran her over at night on a stretch of road really so he's like no it was you know 50 yards 50 meters this way so before they could get an appeal eric cook is hanged and there goes all of john's hopes for a retrial the executioner said that cook literally 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 took the bible from the minister's hand and once again right before he was hanged said he was the person who drove over rosemary and yet they still didn't believe him so john ended up serving five of a 10-year sentence i just can't imagine your life so here we have a guy who's who's about to be put to death for uh, execution Uh uh, execution style and And he he is saying his last thing he says did that guy didn't do it i did i did this i did this Mm -hmm. And no one, the the, the, the cops were so sure who, it was him. The minister, not the 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 the, the prison minister. Uh-huh. Words are hard today, people. Uh-huh. The the chaplain, the min- yeah. the, the prison chaplain, chaplain is hearing this confession. And the guy's uh, giving names and dates, yep. and none of this seems to matter yep. to our poor John. All right, so yeah, John gets out five years early after he only spent five years of a nightmare of. Hard labor, hard labor, literally Australia. breaking rocks. I had a friend who lived who went to Australia for work. Uh-huh. He lived in the middle of the country. I think it's yeah. Al Springs. Spring, yeah, he lived in the middle of the country. And, it's 140 and he degrees. was like. It was miserable. Yeah. He goes, we had all the modern conveniences. It miserable. was miserable. So the first thing John does when he is released from prison is go to Rosemary's grave. He's absolutely haunted by this miscarriage of justice, and he really, really struggles over the next few years. I desperately wanted to live, but the heartache and the pain of living with the injustice was so intense that I knew that I just wasn't going to make it, that I'd finish up doing something foolish. It was... Uh, Seven years um, after I was released, I did do something foolish. So John eventually did get married, uh, got a job, had some kids. But again, this very, very serious deep depression I, stays I, with him. This is this is what I would of the haunt things, anyone. Yes, this is with one a of conscience. the things with Kevin. I I want to do podcasts where we find people who are innocent who have served. You know the yeah. And so here's this poor guy. His toll. His whole life is destroyed. Mm-hmm. He gets out of jail. Everybody thinks he's a murderer. Somehow he's made managed to put a decent life together yeah yeah with a woman who believes him and he is saying i didn't do this and he's tr- still trying to fight to get this reverse his name cleared yeah to get this clear yep so we find out he took an overdose of sleeping pills and he drove off a very steep embankment and against all odds he survived and then he said god since i've survived this will you do this for me from that point on my life changed completely um and a couple of things that I asked of this this God that had, had watched over me was would he would he would he give me back a life and would he give me justice in my lifetime? 
So he wrote to several different officials to see if he could get a retrial, but no luck. He even wrote a book himself, but no one wanted to publish it. Because everybody just... They're like, you're guilty. yeah, yeah, yeah. He then got a phone call from his brother one night, and this is when he got introduced to Estelle, his eventual savior. I had the skills and the doors that were slammed shut in his face opened for me. I had the networks and the contacts. I could get the files and everything that he needed. I knew how to research. I was playing a detective. I was investigating a 30-year-old murder, trying to find fresh evidence. So she is intrigued by John's story, and she realized that she's the exact right person to do this. She's got the connections. She's got the skills, the resources. She can open the doors that he can't. Now, she was still skeptical, though. She wasn't completely sure John didn't do it. Because, she, she, because she's writing a book about Cook. Right. So she is writing a book about Cook, the guy who mm-hmm. who did murder all these people. Yes. And then the side part of this is is John's John involved John in this. And so that's how the two of them got, got introduced. And okay. she's seeing John didn't do this. Right, right. Well, she didn't think Cook was credible either, but she remembered that Cook murdered people. He shot them, he stabbed them, he strangled them, but she said he didn't run down women with cars, but apparently she later learned that he did. Correct. So Estelle is going through John's 1964 appeal, and his defense back then made the connection that eight other women had been hit by cars and that Cook had confessed to them as well. But for some reason, his defense didn't use that, and it was really damning for the prosecution but it never made it to the trial so estelle went ahead and wrote and her book just, it just it, it's it, mind-boggling it would have changed it everything it would have changed everything my mind because no matter how even though perth was a larger town mm-hmm. all of a sudden hey another girl got hit by a car yeah another girl got, they just another wanted another girl got hit by a car to eight different yeah, people they had blinders on they really they just wanted to nail this kid so estelle went ahead and wrote her book about the case but she couldn't find a publisher and that's when our hero brett christian earlier the newspaper publisher steps in and said he would finance the publication of the book here's brett good guy brett having met john i realized it was just not possible for him to have done it, it and it didn't seem the physics didn't seem right to me either the police were trying to say that john's little lightweight french simca had hit a girl hard enough to kill her, and yet there was only, there was really no discernible damage on it. Didn't add up. It simply didn't add up. So this is the year 2000, and it's 37 years after the case. Who? Thir- <laughs> 37 you, years One more later. time, Kevin. Say 37 years later. 37 years. So this man has served his time, gotten out of jail, stigma, yeah. moved on with his Depression. life, tried to kill himself. Yeah. You know, all of these things happened to him 37 years later. So now they're going to somehow have to find new evidence or new expert opinions to get this thing reopened. And this is where we meet Tom Percy with the QC after his name. I don't know what that stands for. Well, must, isn't he Canadian? Um, I don't know, but it must mean something in Australia, and it just says lawyer after that. But I don't it, know. It's code. Tom Percy was from, I believe Tom Percy was from Canada. Okay. So that so who knows, the Queen's, Queen's counselor or something yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Fresh evidence uh, at law in this jurisdiction is evidence which was not available at the time of the trial, which obviously didn't feature at the time of the trial, and which could not, with reasonable diligence, have been available at the trial. So Brett believes so strongly about John's innocence, he searches the world for someone to help, and this is when we learn we learn a new forensics title, Pedestrian Crash Reconstructionist. And this is when we meet Rusty Haight from Texas. He's a retired cop. 
Accident reconstruction is an effort to explain how a crash, a car crash, happened. We use a lot of common sense, um, some elementary applied physics, and um, more common sense, and try to piece together the objective information we have for a, a given car crash uh, to make some sense of it, to sort out how things happened. So yeah, you just take a very objective, level-headed approach to what happened, try to piece together the evidence, and so maybe that re- a, a true reenactment of the crime will give them an argument. So again, with with when it comes to these science things, mm-hmm. blood splatter, luminol, yes. etc. Yeah, they do the same test over and over and over mm-hmm. and over. Yes. So a 2007 Volkswagen Beetle going 35 miles an hour. Well, they, we we, we get hum- to this. We get to this. Hits a human being. Yeah. It's going to con- the, the injuries. The, the <laughs> what is going to That's the happen. very next bit. Let me get to yes. that because so he looking at the pictures even in Texas he's like that's not consistent with someone getting hit by a car at 30 miles an hour. So he Which, flies all the way from Texas to Perth. To do the, Here and, we go. And remember the other guy said this before. Yes. Rosemary Anderson, the girl that was hit by a car, was hit in the in the range of 30 to 40 miles an hour, and that leaves you know that kind of contact with the body leaves distinctive marks on a car, and there were none of those marks on the car that I saw photos of, uh, nothing even close. So Rusty flies to Australia. We, in my old band, one of my old bandmates had a girlfriend. She worked for uh, not Pan Am. What's the big one? Uh, United. American. United. She worked for United. Right. She could fly anywhere. She had an off again, on again romance with a rival boyfriend in Perth. <laughs> she flew one time. That they had an argument here. She was so mad at him. She flew to her other boyfriend in Perth. It took her thirty-five hours to get there. She was there for seven hours. She went over to his house, cried, fell asleep, went right back to the airport, and did the thirty-hour flight back. Now that's some shit. <laughs> so Rusty flies to Australia to try to get new forensic evidence for this. So they had to find a functioning 1963 Simca. And they actually came back with three identical cars and they were still functioning. That was what John was driving. Little known fact that has absolutely nothing to do with this story. Okay. Julia's best friend Simca uh-huh. was called Simca because she drove a Simca. <laughs> there we go. Back. They also needed to find a 1963 Holden, which was the car Cook said he was driving. And they find one of those as well. Then they get a crash test mannequin and suspend it with fishing wire. That's a stand-in for Rosemary. So when it gets hit, that will break and the mannequin will behave as though a person is getting hit. The cops claimed that Rosemary couldn't have hit the car because there was no damage to the visor on the car that Cook was driving. So they said there's no damage to this car Cook said he hit her with. So when we see the mannequin get hit, it flies up and it catches the visor a little bit, but then it keeps going. But I was focused on the visor. I was focused on the alignment and then I looked at the visor and, and I remember seeing the visor bend when the dummy hit it. And it sent a cold chill at my back. I thought, ah, no, this is not good. It can't be good. They actually flex. That's what this this, uh, visor had done when the body hit it. So now all of a sudden, what was kind of a tense moment became, hey, we've done it. So the dummy did exactly what Cook said. It was just a moment of, wow, this is it. We've done it. So the dummy even landed face down, which is the way that Rosemary was was found. found on the side of the road. 
when they used the car that John was supposedly driving, there was even more confirmation. There's a big dent on the bonnet, the hood. And when the dummy lands, it ended face up. And they did this time and time again. The the lack of damage to the car visor on the one that Cook was driving right. is consistent. The dent on the car um, that would have been driven by John if he'd have been driving it wasn't there. So all of this... Science! So with all this newfound evidence, there's enough to convince three judges that John had been wrongfully convicted all those years ago, and we hear the judges removing his felony conviction in court. That the verdict must be regarded as unsafe and unsatisfactory on the ground that there has been a miscarriage of justice. We went back and corrected a wrong, and we did it with an appropriate use of... of of the forensic evidence, but also a liberal use of uh, good investigative techniques that didn't come from the police, that came from basically lay people. I think it makes us all a little bit more aware of the fallibility of the system and have a little bit more faith that it can be rectified and that it is possible. It's the advance of science that's only just been made possible. And the recognition of that branch of science, that is motor vehicle crash reconstruction, that I would say beyond any doubt, put the seal of success on John Button's case. So I got to tell you, I literally teared up when I saw the expression on his face and he turned and everybody in the courtroom cheered and he turned to his, I think now wife, and there were just tears in his eyes because now he he's... He's no longer, you know, convicted murderer. Correct. John Button. He's John Button again. And I believe he got some sort of a fan- financial uh, rec- recommendation. Oh, oh, compensation. Rec- compensation. Yeah, I would have sued. And I want to say, I cannot prove this because I can't yeah, find my damn notes. Sure. I want to say it was $5 million. I'd like now, to think. I don't know if that's how accurate that statement is. $5 million is Australia, which is only 20000 well, American. Oh, Jesus. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Th- the other interesting thing that I found about this in my, in my research was that the cook, the yeah, the, the, murderer. The, the murderer dude, uh-huh. he had this, you know, this, he was called, he was known as the Nedlands Monster, the Night Caller, the notorious silic- serial killer who uh. murdered eight people between 59 and 63. Right. So he's off doing all this other things. He happened to be a married man with a child. Yeah, and the wife had no idea. Yeah, they never do. And then, of course, this That's little girl, BTK for you, the daughter. Uh, she was interviewed, you know, much mm-hmm. later. I and, love my dad. Yeah, and she remembers a man who played with her and brought her uh, toys and a doll. And the week before he was electrocuted, wrote a message on a torn piece of paper that was smuggled out of his cell to my princess, with love forever in my heart, daddy. So I, that, it's so fucked that, up that they have these 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 homicidal manias have this ability because well, it's their property. It's, it's their, their child. It, it's it doesn't. Own, yeah. It's creepy. I don't Not like it property. at all. It's, it's it's who you, it's yeah. like, I, I say this all the time, you're mine when I speak to people who Dennis are in my Rader's family. daughter right. remembers being scared of the, and he was like, honey, don't worry, I'll protect you. The the BTK will never get you. Right. And then she had this very big, like when it was found out she was estranged from him and then she kind of had to reconcile with him because it was just tearing her up. It's right. very, the dynamic between serial killers and their children is 
is is it's very horrible. very disturbing. And she has she is quoted as saying, "I feel very sad that my father did what he did." Yeah, because it it's it not was a, not part of her. She had no no, no concept clue. Ugh. It was all a big surprise to all of all them. Right. That's the story of John Button and Rosemary and John Cook out in Perth, Australia. Thanks you guys for listening. And science and people, science. real science, <laughs> real science. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, Thank share, you so do all much. those things. Yes, do it. Or of the girl can't have it. She's in love with me. Can't help it. The girl can't.